All right, everyone, welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crimecast, a briefing that offers relevant news, tools, and tips across the financial crime field. Today, we'll be discussing predicting the future of AML by understanding its past, shifting from reactive to proactive AML. So this is a bit of a look at the history of the systems and technologies that underpin today's big banks and empower typically highly trained human decision makers. Honestly, really the conceit here is how can we know where we're going if we don't know where we've been? In this episode, we're lucky enough to chat with Sean Ryan, the head of financial crime strategy for the APAC region at FinCrime Technology Innovator Feedside. Ryan has been a thought leader in data technology and financial services for more than two decades, getting his hands dirty in some of the most complex areas of fighting financial crime, including better capturing, wielding, and analyzing big data, tuning and training, sometimes AI-driven transaction monitoring systems, and helping teach and train the human analysts doing the investigations and crafting the reports that arm law enforcement. We'll also touch on some of the global and regional forces shaping financial crime and compliance, including updates from a global AML watchdog, uh, and also, you know, really the expansive transformative changes in rules and regulations shifting to a focus on effectiveness and results in places like the United States, Europe, and also some pretty big uh, occurrences in Ryan's neck of the woods in Australia related to regulatory oversight and enforcement. But first, we'll kick it off with just a quick bio, Sean. Tell me a bit about yourself, how you got into the field, uh, what you've done, and, and what you do at FeedSide. Hey, Brian. Um, uh, absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, uh, re- really great and grateful to be able to have this conversation with you. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, um, I, I head up FeedSide's financial crime strategy for, for APAC. And, um, you know, in, in short, it's, it's uh, the ability to bring all of my, uh, all of my knowledge and and, and share some of the war stories uh, with our clients and customers to ensure that uh, they, they don't have to follow the same path uh, uh, as, as I did and members of our team did. Um, I've, I've been in this game for a while. Um, you know, my, my, my career started off uh, specializing in actually uh, customer relationship management, trying to decide what's the next best product to sell and, uh, and work through, you know, single view of the customer back in, back in the days in the millennium, just after the, the dot-com, uh, dot-com boom. Um, and uh, and then I then I moved on from that into specialising in, in information management and, and the, the importance of data quality, and was a bit of a bit of an evangelist in that area, and uh, in and, and also have many scars in the back of uh, my back on uh, being at the bleeding edge of information quality and data management, and and then around the, the global financial crisis, I actually stumbled into the, the area of uh, fraud and financial crime. Uh, I was oh, working wow. for uh, a bank across. I was working for for a bank across the. Uh, at the UK and Ireland, and um, you know, as we know, going back then, that area that area got hit quite severely, and um, you know, I, I ended up having to do an end-to-end review of uh, um, the, the fraud and AML capabilities uh, for that organisation uh, across all of their different geographical entities. And I was asked to do a review within about six to eight weeks, and I, I was in it for about three weeks. And I went, "This is it. This is the domain for me." It was. Wow. Uh, a complex. It, it was complex. It was messy. It was exciting. It was, and sometimes it was almost impossible. Uh, and, and, and the real joy, the real joy was, it, I recognised it was such an immature domain. And this was back around there between 2008 and 2010. It was such an immature domain that um, the, the opportunity for for helping 
organisations uh, prevent financial crime uh, it came to fruition. It was a, a real focus and passion for me. So that's that's a little bit of a snapshot of how I got here. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really delighted to be uh, work, working with Feedside to further advance their, their capabilities and help our customers. Oh, and, and tell me a little bit about what you do at Feedside. It's it's you know within, within Feedside um, we 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 started off as a uh, you know a disruptor in the fraud prevention space and uh, and we're recognised as you know one of the, the primary companies in the world now for uh, you know leveraging AI and machine learning and, and uh, new new technology or as in fact I would call it today's technology um, to to better reduce uh, fraud. Um, we, we we pivoted into the uh, AML space about three years ago, and um, uh, and then recently moved across the, the full uh, customer lifecycle to be the, the, the risk engine, uh, the risk platform to mitigate all of the fraud and financial crime control, uh, uh, risks for, across the full customer lifecycle. So pretty much my 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 role in Feedside is is bringing that knowledge and expertise from when I was working in uh, banks on both sides of the world. Um, and 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 those that expertise uh, to really provide thought leadership back into product, um, provide thought leadership back into you know a strategy of the company of 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 where we're going, but really be the key conduit between our customers and 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 our company, because you know it's uh, it's this as I mentioned earlier this this domain is quite immature, uh, it's a fairly in, in the world of banking, it's only been around for a few decades, so. Um, uh, there's there's a a wealth of knowledge around there, and uh, it's about sharing that back from back from our customers what they really want back into product, and then vice versa, bringing the mm-hmm. information and the total leadership from product back into our customers. So it's a bit of a jack of all trades role, but uh, it's 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 really really enjoyable. No, I love that, and and that's one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you because you know just you know I, I look for the thought leaders and, and and people who can help me learn. I mean, I've been doing this for fifteen years. And still on a weekly basis, I'll get into some a nuance of financial crime, anti-money laundering that I have to learn about and go, wow, how did, how did this even come into being? But when I was chatting with you, uh, you know, and I was just kind of getting your background when you were telling me, oh, I started in this technology and then I took this technology that was for customers and then I had to morph it and see how it could be for AML. And then I saw this vendor change this from a, a customer thing to now it's for financial crime. I was like, wow, this is this is absolutely critical, you know, very important, you know, nuanced area of knowledge that by you sharing this, you can help the community because we can talk all day about, oh, the red flags of human trafficking or, you know, kind of, you know, what does this piece of guidance mean? But two huge gaps in, in this industry are, number one, how do you actually create and run a financial crime compliance program? You know, and, and literally like, concrete. I go to this thing. I write these policies. I make this system. I, I do these risk ranking. I do this back-end methodology for the tuning of the monitoring system and, and risk ranking. But what you don't have is people saying point by point how you do that. And the technology piece, what's in your brain, is such a, a, a regulatory focal point right now that when you were talking to me about this, I thought, wow, this this kind of understanding that you have the practical ways to implement technologies in the AML field, um, it was transformative, frankly. So let's get into some of this. So and a quick bit of level setting here, the reason why we're talking so much about changes in technology and being more effective 
is what's going on globally. Now you have at the top the AML watchdog of the entire field, the Paris based Financial Action Task Force. Uh, I believe it was around 2013, they changed how they evaluate countries. Rather than technical compliance laws on the books, they wanted to focus on effectiveness, which is the results of all these efforts. Well, what is that? That would be a large, complex cases crutch. Uh, the amount, the number of assets uh, seized and forfeited by law enforcement, um, convictions, things like that. So as this kind of trickled down to the countries themselves, they too have changed and said, I don't want just you to run AML programs because there are these rules to do it. We want you to create uh, effective um, you know, compliance programs that generate relevant uh, intelligence for law enforcement. That could be the foundation of cases. And you have this happening in the United States with the Anti-Money Laundering Act, but also you have in Europe changes related to the Danske Bank scandal to actually create a pan-block super-regulator. And then in, in Sean's uh, neck of the woods, Australia, getting a very hostile review by lawmakers and regulators of banks related to the FIU and what they said it should have been doing in some pretty big high-profile enforcement actions. So I guess, you know, Sean, take us to how has AML compliance gotten to where it is today, kind of, and how and why is it changing? You know, it's 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 a uh, it's been through uh, conversations of uh, you know sharing with like you, Brian, and 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 so other friends and colleagues of you know how do we get here? And uh, unfortunately, we have to go back to uh, uh, the, the the pretty horrendous day of nine eleven to um, to look at how the, the risk control landscape uh, around financial crime changed across the industry. You know, uh, sanctions screening, you know, pretty much did not exist until uh, pre nine eleven came in, um, and and that's not that long ago. You know, I remember uh, the first time um, you know, when I was, I was working in Europe, we were going through an exercise to uh, bringing in the first anti money laundering solution into an organisation. It was a rudimentary, very very basic rules based system, um, and. Um, you know, it was firing out tremendous false positives, and the intent of the intent of the organisation at the time, and and and, and this is no different to the organisation I was working for. It was the intention of the industry was just to do enough. It was a, uh, it was right. you were hearing the old uh, term, uh, you know, risk based appetite. We'll we'll do it based on a risk based risk based appetite, and um, and that what happened back then, and that that intention and that culture has been with the industry for a long while. It's 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 doing enough because, unfortunately, the technology back then was fairly basic. Um, you know, some organisations were struggling with data quality issues. Uh, some organisations didn't even have a single view of the customer. So to to implement these type of systems was becoming you know extremely extremely high top, uh, total cost of ownership, and um, and for what? How effective were they? Uh, in, in 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 essence, you know, in fairness, they're not that effective. Um, False positive rate was fairly high, and the information was being fed back to the regulator was not that effective. And even the regulators, you know, multi-jurisdictional, weren't set up to be able to deal with this volume of information and make use of it. So it mm -hmm. became of a. It'd be fair to say that it became within in, in most organisations the the chief financial officer dreaded every single business case that came up for um, you know financial <laughs> crime prevention because for the AML like, cost center, just, that's all it is. This, <laughs> It's 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 or, or, or in other words, I've since the sales prevention cost center. You know, it's it's um, <laughs> uh, this money can be this this money can be used for better things. And 
you know, when I shared earlier how I um, uh, I got into this industry uh, originally, um, cutting my teeth in financial services in the world of customer relationship management and, you know, propensity to sell the next best, best product, you know, switching into the world of financial crime. It, you know, early days, the focus from organizations was, you know, preventing business. And, um, uh, and these large, large uh, transformation programs to implement these uh, AML systems were, were cumbersome and not effective. And then, then it moved on. We, you know, you would have an, uh, an anti-money loaning solution for, um, for one entity. You'd have another one and another entity. So if you had a tier one organization operating multi-geos, they, they may have a dozen different solutions. None of them joined oh, up, wow. uh, all siloed, uh, and again, uh, very much ineffective. So, you know, you can, you can understand why there was frustration within, uh, you know, the C-suite of financial services. Uh, you know, what, what, why we, we recognize there is a need. Uh, however, you know, this is very, very costly and we're not, we're, we're not seeing any change. We're not seeing any change. We're, 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 try, we're trying to do the right thing. We're not seeing any change. And then, and then, as the regulators got a better understanding of technology themselves, and actually, I think it's a it's a it's a fair uh, fair reflection as the regulations mature themselves, because this was all new, Brian. You know, it's only you know only only a few decades ago um, did this enter the landscape of financial services. So, as the regulators got a better a better understanding, then new regulation came in. So, we were looking at you know within Europe. I remember uh, the Thirty UAML Act, which was for uh, PEPs and sanction screening. Um, one of the old AML vendors uh, said, yeah, sure, we, we, can, we can hack the system and turn it into a customer screening solution. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, generate, let, let's generate a server farm and, and it will take us three weeks to process the data and, uh, and so on. Um, so it, it, it is an it's still an incredibly immature domain uh, relative to financial services. And you align that to the paradigm shift in tech and the speed of digital transformation across this industry. Uh, we're, in, we're, in, we're in a very, very exciting time and, and a challenging time. No, I, I couldn't agree more. That's, that's one of the things I, I literally said that to my team recently at ACFCS is, is like, to me, this is one of the most exciting times to be in the industry because finally you have it coming from regulators and from countries hey, you know, what are our results and how can we actually improve this and how can we truly, truly do better in stopping bad guys because they're innovating, they're working together against us. You know, they're, they're trying to find every trick in the book to launder money in places like the United States and Europe and, and, and Australia. So it's kind of incumbent on us to, to change, like you said, break the paradigm and say, you know, what can we can do rather than satisfying and appeasing regulators to truly creating uh, partnerships and, and data and reports that help law enforcement, that arm them to really go out after the worst of the worst. So, and you'd mentioned also the acceleration to digital. Um, tell me a little about that. How's the kind of acceleration to, you know, digital identities, digital commerce impacting AML? And, and I think also that was kind of supercharged by the pandemic a little bit. Uh, absolutely, and um, you know, if you think about you know what happened in the early millennium and, and, and the decade after, we we had many solid systems, and um, and the customer experience. Let's bring this all back to the customer. Uh, customer experience was very fragmented, and there was a lot of friction. Uh, so when when we're looking at 
financial crime controls across the customer journey. Um, and, and, and if you're looking at each individual component being a different solution, it's, it's almost impossible to start uh, uh, having a decent customer experience and you're going to get significant frustration and that attrition. Um, the pandemic has, has brought forward, especially around the uh, disruption and the, and the, the challenger banks and, the, and, and, the, and, and some of the tier one organizations bringing in their own digital banks to, to compete with the challenger banks. It, it's, it's offered a greenfield site to, um, to do the right thing by the customer, the customer experience and bring in the best available technology to meet all fraud and financial crime controls. And I'll bring fraud into the mix because if we're looking at, and I go back to the days of uh, single view of customers, CRM and identifying the best product to sell somebody, well, let's let's flip that you know, 90 degrees and say, well, how can I make sure that I'm looking at the customer, having the best customer experience and ensuring I am managing all fraud and financial crime risks across the customer journey, you, you, you do it from a customer-centric point of view. And then you also look at it from um, an analyst perspective, the people who are actually managing these alerts on the far side, it's a human-centric view. It's, it's, not, it's not having you know, swivel, chair, uh, swivel chair analysis going through multiple screens to see what's happening. So, that, so that the pandemic has absolutely accelerated uh, um, digital transformation and it is the ability to onboard customers in real time the ability to profile their risk in real time, uh, uh, the ability to screen them uh, from a, a PEPs and sanctions perspective. You know, are we are we able to bring them into into a, a customer fold, um, and then the ability to um, decide what's the best product to sell based on the risk of the customer. So this this is this is a fascinating space now. What we're seeing is, you know, I, I could actually envisage that. Um, Financial crime risk and managing it well is actually a profit enabler. It's a revenue generator within organizations. Rather going back that sort of 10 or 20 years ago where, you know, it was nothing but, you know, a cost center. And, and, and to resolve the financial crime issues, it was, you know, upgrading bad technology with bad technology. And it was throwing bodies at the problem. You know, I go back to right. if, I, if I was looking at one of the organizations to looking at a, a reason, I think we had... To, you know, a few hundred people, you know, uh, less than five or six years ago managing operations, and you, you could add, add a few zeros on that now. Uh, I think this is an issue. So, that, yes, digital transformation is an ability to accelerate the, the use of new technology, uh, test it, uh, and, and do it in an area to, you know, Im improve the overall customer experience and, and, and in the end, uh, um, make greater profits for organizations while managing their risk. So I, I think that's that's almost like again like tr putting literally transforming the current paradigm on its head because everybody exactly what you said for years you know banks are loath to kind of you know give the AML department the fin crime compliance department more ammo because that just means more areas they're going to bother the salespeople or find a reason to give extra scrutiny to some product that the bank wants to make money for what what you just said like if you could convince a bank that unbelievably strong AML watching the customer from before they get in the bank, as they're in the bank, as they go to different areas of the bank and using that data, not just for risk analysis, uh, but also using that incredible data to say, hey, 
you know, look at all this information we have to help this customer, not just protect them from bad guys and protect us against them. And I had even I had a, a fun preview chat with you that we were going down the realm of kind of like impossibilities. And we were like, imagine imagine if banks actually just said, you know what? Um, AML is a, a revenue generator. And then we were both laughing. Like, imagine an AML compliance department so good and they're so advanced that they go to the bank. They say, bank, you can bank anywhere. You want to go bank in Russia? Go ahead. We can mitigate that risk. We're that good. Oh, you want to bank in this high-risk region near Terra Hotspots? Go for it. We can med- mitigate anything. And, you know, we're, we're kind of joking a little bit about that. But to me, there's some real-world applications now with so many banks, this area of risk, you know, ESG, environmental, social governance, people are getting more interested in what their bank is doing um, and who who they're banking. So potentially, you know, if a bank is tied to some big scandal or tied to something related to the environment, there are customers right now who might say, you know what, I don't want to be with that bank anymore. So it seems like, you know, what you're saying, a bank caring about their customers um, but that could be pretty transformative in the industry. Oh, for sure. Like, you know, the, the, it's five years ago, as I, the, the challenge was uh, with technology. Um, the platforms that were available were rigid around data API. You know, it, they, they could only manage to take in a certain amount of information because, you know, it was, it was highly expensive to, to store this information, you know, in the, in the relationship databases that were available back then. And then even if you had a, a, a extremely, you know, uh, bottomless pit of a budget uh, and you were fortunate to do so and you were storing this huge amount of information, what did you do with it? You didn't have the technology to process it. And, and if you did, you were, you were waiting for, for hours, if not days, to, to get a return on the intelligence. Um, the paradigm shift in technology five years ago allowed us to uh, store information extremely uh, cheaply in a cost-effective way, all information. Um, you know, all non-financial events and all, and all financial events uh, from within your organization, all information from outside your organization that's related to customer around adverse media and social media and, 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 and the information that you're allowed, uh, you're allowed to use um, within data privacy um, acts and, and from an ethical customer point of view. Um, then we're looking at, right, so we're able to hold all this information quite cost effectively and we're able to process it in real time with these new event streaming capabilities. Then with in-memory processing, proper true memory processing, we can process both of these together. This is where this is why we have this um, this disruption in the financial crime technology space because the technology is allowing us to use all information, all available information. A few years ago, we wanted to do that because the but we didn't have that capability because we were constrained by tech. Now, with all of this knowledge, it, it, we've we've got an option. And I say option because it's a choice. Do we want to operate our business with full transparency? Do we mm-hmm. want to be able to look across the customer and, 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 and truly understand the behavior? And, and, uh, and do we want to look across our business and truly understand what we're doing? Is it ethical? And uh, customers want that for sure. They want to be banking with organizations that are ethical. You can see that in some of the... Uh, um, you know, the, the corporate investments that banks are using, uh, using this, uh, you know, we just have to go and look at the conference in Glasgow there only a couple of weeks ago around environmental change. You know, customers yes. are, are, you know, they will bank, they will bank with organizations out of an ethical point of view. And then, and then going back to, you know, financial services and banking, um, 
do want to be able to uh, you know, look at their risk controls and see, does this truly, we may have joked about it, but actually I have an old saying, never a truer word said in jest, Brian. You know, that, <laughs> there, there, is the cap- there, there is the capability now to, um, to, to leverage all this, informa- this information and leverage the, the fraud or financial crime risk controls because if your strategy is around having a true holistic approach to fraud or financial crime, you know, a human-centric, customer-centric approach around fraud and financial crime, that means we've got full transparency of the risk associated with the customer. Now, if you're managing risk in real time associated with the customer, that means that when the customer's risk profile improves, you can actually sell more products. Mm-hmm. Therein lies the, 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 the paradigm shift that you know a proper transparent financial crime program can actually be a sales enablement business, a revenue generator. That's, oh, that's really interesting to me because it seems like almost like there's a sliding scale of kind of risk and revenue that you're talking about here, fueled by technology. And basically, I'll, and I'll do it from both ends of the spectrum. Say you get in a really lo- supposedly low risk, you did your risk assessment, all your back end and methodology lines up, and he is officially a low risk customer. He comes on board, and you're trying to, you know, uh, you analyzed him. You see, you're trying to sell him good stuff, and you know maybe he buys different things. But then, as his risk kind of rises, you know, and he's kind of drawing more AML resources, focused from the transaction monitoring system, you kind of pull away from him a little bit. Conversely, if somebody comes in who's medium or higher risk, uh, but you're seeing that you know um, he's actually his account is doing what it said, he's not dealing with high risk regions and that risk starts to drop a little bit, he'll cost more or less AML resources and maybe actually be a rev- be more of a revenue generator for a bank. I mean, does that sound right? For, for, for sure. And, and, and what's wow. the challenge being? So, so, so in concept, absolutely for sure. But up, up until recently, that, that was a concept. And it was a concept rather than uh, uh, being a practical capability because banks were unable to to perform customer due diligence in in real time right so the cdd process the kyc and cdd process which you know has been a struggle for a lot of organizations and it's a struggle for a lot of organizations because they they need to get you know their their tens and millions if not hundreds of millions of 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 customers um to be able to risk rate them to cdd process and do those periodic reviews that's that's a lot of data crunching Right. So if you've got a high risk customer, you have to look at them within six, six to 12 months, depending on your policy and medium risk, you know, one Correct. to two years and, and, and so on. Um, now, the constraints was technology processing this information. Now, with today's technology, you can actually process that customer demographic information from your CTD process in real time. So if Sean's business was a, a cash based business and, and, and it was deemed as a high risk, and, and, and all of a sudden, he, he moves into, you know, uh, uh, let's say a, a consulting business. Well, some may, may, may deem that to be still high risk <laughs> in, 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 in our risk profiles, in our risk profiles, you know, from cash-based business to a consultant-based business, it is, it, is, it is a lower risk. But that demographic normally would not be picked up until the periodic review was next completed. So right. if, if Sean's business was, was uh, that, that demographic information changed a week after the periodic review 
it would not be picked up in the next year, which meant that you had best part of 51 weeks where you could have sold and changed the customer experience and sold more products to this organization or to this customer. Um, uh, now, with the change in real time, you've got it there in the moment. That, that, gives, that gives confidence to your chief risk officer. So, so what, what's when, when, the, when you have your risk advisory team in profiling a new product or a new channel or a new bundle or a, a new wallet for a customer, you know, they, they are trained to be risk averse, right? You know, that's, that's right. the job. But, but with greater transparency and greater control of the risk, there's greater confidence. And we've got greater confidence in managing that customer risk. You've got the ability to sell more things because you're more confident because you've got full transparency. You know, I, I was with some colleagues there a few weeks ago and we were talking about, you know, the chief risk officer could, could be the next chief revenue officer. Hmm. Same acronym. <laughs> that, I actually, uh, I, I like that. And, and obviously, if banks see your financial crime appliance department in that light, they're going to be much more apt to, you know, fund you, to tinker with new technologies, to take a chance on you, to improve effectiveness. Uh, but also, I wanted to just, I mean, I know for a lot of the, the compliance officers who are hearing this right now, they're going, oh, my God, yes. Oh, don't even, don't even remind me of, of, the, of the dark days of uh, updating your risk assessments. Because for even huge banks, what used to happen is there's these, your entire customer population is segmented into low, medium, and high risk. And every year, they would have to go through and re-risk rank and re-look at and ensure that there's not too many high-risk people that suddenly are hiding in the low-risk. That all of a sudden, a lot of the high-risk people didn't themselves drop to low-risk. And you're, you're, they're pulling all these unneeded resources from AML. And I distinctly remember a conversation. Now, this was a nightmare for a lot of banks. This one compliance officer that was fighting his examiner tooth and nail because the examiner came in saw his risk ranking, saw the methodology, agreed that it was right, but just decided, you know what? I don't know how many of your low-risk people have gone high-risk, so could you re-risk rank your entire low-risk population for me? Thanks. And he was like, oh, my God, that would take me weeks or months. Like, I've got the examiner. How am I going to do this? He finally was able to fight him to back off, but that's just a little slice of how difficult one little piece of this AML program can be and what a big deal it can be if you can make those risk assessments more data-driven, more real-time. Um, very powerful stuff that you're talking about, Sean. Well, look, the, um, the, the, the peri period periodic reviews are, are I, I, I believe, they're, the shift was going to go to trigger-based reviews. As the information changes, you will get a trigger-based mm -hmm. alert based on your risk appetite, based on your customer profiling. Um, and and, and the, the, true, the true strength of having that holistic approach to fraud and financial crime and, and the capability to manage all of the, the customer risks, like sort of a customer risk operation approach across the full customer lifecycle from you know, the mm -hmm. uh, acquisition stage to the uh, um, activation stage and, and then right way through to activity, so your customer lifecycle. Um, mm -hmm. Managing all those risks on, in a single integrated holistic platform, you now have 360-degree view of what's going on with your customer, full transparency. With full transparency, it gives you confidence in what you're doing, and, and that allows your, your risk team to be, you know, the people you want inside the tent rather than outside the tent because they're there to widen the envelope around what you can do mm -hmm. and not constrain it. It's you know, it's mm -hmm. exciting. It's exciting days, and you know, I I I um, I think it's a 
it's um, many, many a great conversation with uh, um, all compliance officers and, and, and hopefully when they listen to this, it'll be a, somewhat of a therapy session for them and <laughs> they can see <laughs> exactly. that there's a way forward. Um, so, you know, and it seems, but we're all moving somewhere, right? We're moving toward this goal and the goal really has changed in, uh, you know, for some the past, you know, seven, eight years, for some more recently because the laws have changed. But how is this focus on technology and like we mentioned this focus on effectiveness and results how is that kind of impacting regulations at the country level because whatever changes regulations at the country level changes for the banks so i guess how how are are those trends impacting regulations and what should banks kind of do to prepare for this um this this is fabulous. Uh, we're, we're we're having some conversations, and and it is it's it's you know the reg the regulators have a tough job. Okay, it's it's um you know, there there are a lot of stakeholders and, and some heavy hitting stakeholders, uh, and with the pace the pace of change of what's happening in technology, um, it's even hard for the regulators to keep up on what's what's capable. Um, so we're we're having conversations with some of the regulators, you know, sharing with them what our technology is doing, um, what's capable, and uh, what's possible. So it's the art of the possible rather than the art of the impossible. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of organisations traditionally was talking about financial crime as the art of the impossible. I like to think of it now when we talk to regulators, it's the art of the possible. This this is what <laughs> you can do. So 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 when um, so when the you know the, the regulators having conversations with um, uh, with financial services and, and and they're hearing we, we can't do it. It's it's, it's too expensive. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. um, we're we're doing everything. We're throwing it's another hundred FTE or another thousand FTE. Um, the, the reality is, uh, we're sharing with the regulators that there's a, a, a cheaper, smarter, better way of doing this. Mm -hmm. uh, using today's tech uh, with all available data, and having the smarts of having this holistic approach uh, to fraud and financial crime, uh, you can to do things in a more effective way. And, and I would love, I would love to think that uh, this information has absolutely been taken on board by some of the more progressive regulators, um, and uh, and they they get it, uh, and I I believe that they will start uh, updating and fine-tuning the regulations to take into account of what's possible, and um, and and there and there with it, um, you know, hopefully it goes full circle and gets back into where financial services and and um, they will embrace the regulation rather than. Um, speak of it with frustration and some contempt. No, and, and, and it's true. And it's it's a weird, it's a delicate dance that the regulators have to do because they can't, different sizes of banks, there's different resources, there's different customer bases, different regions, different risks. So a regulator can't just say, bank, you have to get the highest and best technology and the most experienced people and go make an AML program because that's not realistic, you know, and they, they can't, because, and you said it, that literally most regulators and regulations just say, make this risk-based approach to kind of do your best to stop money laundering and, and good luck in finding out the underlying crimes. Um, but that mentality is changing and you can see it in some of the regulatory statements. I remember in, from December, 2018, because it stuck out in my mind what a big shift this was, the OCC, the, the top regulator of US banks, Put out it wasn't an order it was like a statement and the statement was saying look banks if you want to go ahead and try to tinker with technology to try to new th try new things to improve the results to better 
uh, make bigger and better cases for law enforcement to have better results, uh, maybe even improve efficiency. Uh, you know, that would be great for us to see you do that. And we're not, I'm doing air quotes here, you can't see me, but we're not going to necessarily say your legacy systems are wrong if the new system you're tinkering with finds more than your old system. And I saw that and I was like, wow, this is a regulator. Say, and, and most times that's a bank's counter, uh, the, the budgets will counter, oh, we can't upgrade these different things. Your regulator said last year this was fine, so we don't have to make any changes. The regulator didn't tell us to. This time the regulator is kind of tacitly telling you to. Um, you know, but, but what do you think about that? I mean, is that something that's important for kind of bank decision makers to see that the regulators want to see this? You're going to kind of get some credit for it. Oh, look, I, I, the, 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 the best outcome for all of us is where the regulators understand what's capable. And, and that pretty much means that we've got the, the capability of having a fully transparent fraud and financial crime system um, to, to be able to show all financial crime risks across your organization. Now, if, if the regulators are able to put enforce regulation that allows that transparency and, and, and financial services embraces it, um, it's a win-win. Because I, I, I remember talking to many a, a CEO and members of C-suite and, and they asked straight out what, what keeps them, the classic, what keeps you awake at night? And, and it's, it's, it's the fact that we may be missing something. And with such large mm -hmm. change programs and, 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 and through the digital transformation as well, programs that are going on, it is possible that, you know, somebody drops the ball or a little bit of code gets missed and, or a bit of a user acceptance testing uh, uh, gets passed by mistake. Um, and um, uh, with, with effective technology, effective programs and complete transparency of what's going on across the data through your organization, um, you can do this now. Um, so I, I, I think um, regulators will, 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 will and can have the... Um, the types of rules and, uh, and logic put forward, that policies that make sense to the business mm -hmm. um, because they know what's capable. Uh, and I think banks will embrace it because they'll actually see it's effective. You know, it's the... the, the this, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, go, no, go ahead, Brian. And I was just going to say, is, is this any different from kind of, you know, you have your legacy big brick-and-mortar banking groups and then there's kind of other, you know, challenge of fintechs and different things coming on board. Um, it, it seems like, you know, maybe the newer operations might be doing something that older banks maybe can even learn from. But I guess tell me a little bit of, of that from your perspective. Yeah, so we, we've noticed certainly that the organizations that are embracing um, this paradigm shift and approach to, to this domain are, are most certainly the fast, fast movers are the challenger banks and the disruptor banks. Uh, we, we, we work with the, the top ones all across the world, multi-jurisdictional, all geos. And, and the, the consistent trend is um, they get it they, because they're, they're using some of the latest core banking systems. Uh, customer experience is king. Um, and expects product to sell is king. And, and they get the understand that you know real-time risk controls is where they want to get to. Um, th th these, these programs are being mm -hmm. implemented in months, not years. So that so that the pace of change of implementation and the results coming through uh, is 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 really really quick as well. Um, 
I've, I've, I, we've seen the learnings from uh, these disruptors, especially if it's a disruptor within a tier one organization, feeding back to the parents. Mm-hmm. So actually the child, the child mm. ends up teaching the parent. Uh, and that is happening. And, and that's, that's absolutely fascinating. And the other great piece is, you know, we're looking at, you know, you look at some of the global organizations who we're working with. It's, it, it is somewhat time consuming. Uh, um, and not even time consuming. We, we, we may have, they may have a constraint that they're locked in or, uh, I've just signed, uh, an, another five year, uh, um, license with, um, some old tech, old technology. And, and they're saying, look, there's a significant amount of technical debt. But by watching what's going in the challenger banks, they can see that it actually can have a hybrid approach and somewhat of a path of, of mm-hmm. migrating off old onto new, um, by, by, by ingesting some of the, uh, uh, data from the legacy tech into your new real-time risk platform. Hmm. No, that, that is that's interesting, and I, I like how you said that. There's there's different ways to kind of take a bite at the apple. You know, it's not always I have an old system and I have to change everything completely over to the new. Kind of, like you said, take a hybrid approach. Have these systems work side by side. So you're not losing all the investment you've done in your legacy systems, but you're just kind of upgrading maybe what they could do or what you could get out of them with these newer systems. Um, so, you know, also, but I think regulators too, you know, it, it seems like they need to kind of take a different tact with maybe some of the institutions themselves um, and, and be part of the uh, solution, either in communicating what the bank is doing right and wrong, maybe even sharing some best practices they're seeing across banks. Uh, just recently, we did an event in Canada, but, you know, Canada has kind of struggled in getting big, you know, money laundering prosecutions, but where they've excelled is these public-private partnerships. And it's exactly everything that you mentioned in the ideal world of financial crime compliance. The banks, the regulators, and law enforcement coming together to better capture data, analyze data, um, find nuanced red flags for crimes that, that you know, they didn't even know about. Um, tell me a little bit about that, because it seems like no matter what a bank does in terms of technology, just its own institution, it's going to need help to do it right, either partnering with other banks, uh, working with the regulators, or kind of being an ally in law enforcement, um, you know, to kind of go after these bigger crimes. It's 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 all about information sharing, you know. It's all information sharing, and and you know when we were chatting earlier, Brian, we were asking, you know, what, what what's what's at the core of all um, uh, financial crime programs and, and successful financial crime programs? Trust and transparency. Yeah, trust and transparency. And, and therein, yeah. li- and there, there, therein lies the challenge, uh, you know, um, having uh, having bank, uh, you know, the, the different different or financial services organisations sitting down at a table together. Uh, and, and, you know, to do the right thing, they, there needs to be trust and there needs to be transparency. And, uh, you know, I believe, I believe there's a willingness to get, to get to there. Um, there's far more collaboration than there was there, uh, three years ago. If not, like, you know, it's, it's, I, I, we're seeing greater collaboration. We're actually seeing, um, a greater level of collaboration between, uh, innovation within financial services, the regulator, mm-hmm. different reg tech forums. Um, and, right. and 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 the the vendors themselves, the, the, the vendors themselves. So, you know, um, you know, we 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 are seeing that change. Pe- people people want to do the right thing. 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, organizations want to do the right thing. Um, the, uh, the, the staff working in these in, in banks and financial services, I spent a good bit of my career working inside the tents of, of financial services. We always wanted to do the right thing. Um, and, you know, the constraints we had was old technology. And the constraints we had was old regulation. The regulation's changing. Uh, we've seen that. Um, and the technology has changed. So, so truly now there's mm. no excuses, Brian. You know, there, there's, there's no excuses for an organization, any organization to, to get in there um, and be more effective in, in, in this world. There's no excuses from the regulators to turn around and, 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 and enforce regulation um, that allows greater transparency. The technology is there. Um, the information is available. We're in the digital age where, you know, it's the ability to onboard, you know, 10,000 customers in a second. You know, you can do that. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's mind blowing. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's possible to, um, you know, use, use companies that have a fully integrated holistic approach to fraud and financial crime that, that meets all of the risk controls through the full customer life cycle. You know, these, this was a pipe dream five to six years ago. Um, to do all of this in real time with, uh, in, a, in an environment that involves high volume of transactions with significant low latency. That's the game changer. No, and, and I, as you're kind of talking about these different things, I'm, I'm thinking myself, I've been in this field for 15 years. I've been a journalist for 20, 25 years, but there's enforcement action that are specifically, that have specifically hit on the issues you're talking about, such as oh, uh, a bank was running an AML program and the AML program, um, and they had a customer that was in different regions of the world with different accounts at the bank and different uh, products of the bank. He had a, you know, a corporate account over here, a personal account over here, a securities account over here. And while one area of the AML system got him, these two other areas didn't. And it ended up that this person was laundering money and doing frauds in these areas because the bank systems weren't knitted together. Um, and this is, you know, maybe going back five, seven years that these kind of actions are still happening. So exactly what you're saying is dead on. You know, th this technology integration, watching the customer uh, go anywhere in the bank, knowing about what he's doing in and out of the bank, that was a dream that was just not happening pretty, uh, pretty recently. But you know, we talk a lot about technology here, but I was hoping, you know, we've got a couple last few questions here, Sean, uh, to talk about the human element, because it seems to me for every successful financial crime compliance program, we hit it upon a lot of the tenets here, the, the core components. You need the technology, you need the resources, you need the kind of budgetary support, but I think you also need the humans, uh, highly trained humans to make the right decisions because only through the lens of experience, a lot of times, can somebody look at a set of red flags or transactions and immediately say, oh, that's a car dealership, and that's uh, in Central America, and that has ties to Turkey. Oh, this is Hezbollah. Um, so it seems to me like, like you know, the, the training of the humans also needs to be upgraded as you upgrade technology. What, what do you think? Uh, for for sure, you know you you can't you cannot take away from 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 human intelligence. You know, um, AI machine learning is great to a point. Um, you know, there's always a need for humans at the forefront of this. You know, that that uh, that emotional intelligence is is what's absolutely key. 
And you know, that's that, you know, what you asked me earlier about my role in the feed side. Um, uh, there's other, there, are, there are many other people like me within our company who have come from industry industries that have had leadership roles, and, and needless I say, who have scars in their back from from implementing uh, multiple AML programs, multiple uh, sanction screening programs, payment screening programs, uh, uh, actual full transformation programs, whether it be you know the northern hemisphere, the southern hemisphere. Uh, you, you name it, you know, the, the collective group of uh, expertise within our companies um, um, has seen it all. And and that's why, you know, it's it's really important, you know, when when an organization is looking to choose a vendor, and uh, it's it's about, you know, what's one vendor, what's one vendor difference over the other. Um, mm-hmm. my, my real share, it's, you, you want to choose a vendor that's going to be there with you when the going gets tough. You know, because technology is technology. And, um, you know, and at the end of the day, tech, tech, tech can pretty much do anything these days. We've, we've touched on that quite a bit in this, in this conversation. Um, but, you know, all programs, all transformation programs are difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, as I said, you know, we've been chatting. This is, this is a, this is a very, still a very immature domain. And especially with the incredible speed of change through digital transformation, mistakes are, mistakes will be made. Um, scope make, scope will change. Priorities will change mid-program. Um, mm-hmm. uh, budge, budgets will budgets will get tight. Uh, key resources may leave from 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 you know either within the vendors' world or even in the clients' world. These things happen. Um, the mm-hmm. most important piece is when you pick a pick a vendor. It's a vendor you will trust to be there with you at the start during the most difficult times and be there through the end for success. That's that. That's that's. Uh, yeah, that, that's. If, actually, there was, if there was, if there was okay. one message I could land in this, that's probably the most important piece. And that's actually perfect segue into my last few questions. Here is you know, there's a, there are a lot of acronyms in our little world. You know, AI and AML, and and it's all pretty complex. But when you talk to the vendors, you know, the, it sounds like they've solved it. Like we've we're, we're done. It's it's a okay on KYC. We'll have your EDD by EO day. No red alerts on too many alerts but it's actually kind of a thing to to go and pick a vendor so i, I guess i'll ask you since you know you've had to you have the scars on your back from finding these vendors working with them implementing them you know battling meshing all the systems together should i be asking uh and what answer should i be looking for sean you know the 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 the, the challenge has, has always been you know get past the buzzword bingo Yes, <laughs> you know, it's uh, uh, you know like and 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 especially especially in this domain, especially in this domain, there, there's um, there's KYC, there's KYB, there's KYT in in the crypto world. Um, you know, and that's KYCC, one we haven't you forgot on, that one. <laughs> oh, we've got EDD, CDD, you know, and and and, um, and that's one thing we haven't even touched on because we 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 haven't even touched on the conversion between fiat and crypto, and crypto which which is which is happening. Oh, yeah. uh, in, in financial crime space. Then, then, then you've got the internal debate in most organisations whether whether you build or you buy because yeah. organisations say, well, look, I've 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 got one of those streaming engines and I've I've got one of you know I've I've got a, a big data warehouse and I've got people and you know I, I'm I'm a bank but really I want to be an engineer shop I want to be an IT shop and they go no banks are banks you're good at you're, <laughs> you're good at selling products to customers you're 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 not an expert in fraud or financial crime but however some organisations believe they they, they they want to do that. And it, and it comes it comes down to you know how do I compare one vendor against one another vendor? It's not even apples and apples and oranges. It's, 
it's 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 apples to oranges and they end up with a lemon tree like who, who, who <laughs> knows who knows where this is going to go um look it, it, it's 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 i've i've conducted personally speaking i've conducted rfps for uh, you know uh, uh you know the last 15 20 years um i've been on the, on the side of the defenses and advisor um and, and now, you know, the, been very grateful working with Feedsai and, and serving our clients. What, well, I would say it, 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 it is really, really simple. Choosing a vendor is is having a very authentic relationship with them, uh, being very upfront on what you want to achieve, um, ask the hard questions and see how they respond. Um, it's the human element. The tech, mm-hmm. the tech is good. The tech is important, but it's very easy to. Uh, and look at a company and see that look at this company's in some of the biggest banks in the world and some of the biggest disruptors in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, obviously, it's gone through the due diligence, so it's good tech. Are they going? To, are they going to be there when the going gets tough? Because the going. What the are going some of the tough questions tough. that you'd ask them? Um, one, one of my one of my favorites is um, you know you, you you turn around and say, "What is your roadmap?" So pe- pe- people have shared a vision. And the vision is very important, but how how does that how how real is that vision? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can 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 you you know please share with me what your roadmap is and and, and how are you going to are you going to stick to that roadmap item? Uh, how many times have I heard um, a, a vendor an organisation say I want something and can you get it for me in, in a Q one and if it's coming up to Q four in the sales cycle, absolutely yes you can have it you can have it in Q one, um, but. That's back into will this vendor be there when the going gets tough? Um, mm-hmm. Where they commit, they deliver. Where they've done it before, and, and get out and speak. Get out and speak to some of the other customers. This, like this domain is a very, very this domain is a very very small domain. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Pe- 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 mm-hmm. People people know what works. People know what doesn't. People know where is where there's where there's hype and consistent hype, not not just short term hype, but there's consistent hype. Um, and yeah. organizations are, are, are consistently growing. Um, generally, it's, it's for a reason. Uh, the, the, the tech is good, but more important, the people are good. Mm-hmm. So look, I, I, my, 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 my question, or my advice would be look beyond the tech. Tech is important, but look beyond the tech. Look at the people. Who's, who's mm. going to deliver it? Um, like who's who's going to be there? Uh, who's going to be there offering advice that has nothing to do with the technology? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Because you're you're almost going to need a consultant to guide you, you to do this stuff. Uh, and if the the company has both the technology and the human expertise, that's a pretty powerful combination. Um, I guess we're getting close to the the, the tail end of the interview here, uh, Sean. And, and you actually, the last couple of questions here, you kind of touched on them. That you know that, that these are things that can be done now. You know, like um, updating going through an annual exercise. Uh, capturing data across the systems, the legacy, the AML, the HR, uh, different account types across the bank. I guess that gets down to what you mentioned, the, the customer transparency. Um, and, and even, you know, possible, the possibility to analyze or capture data outside the bank, you know, social media, things like that. Um, I mean, is that kind of where we're at right now, where we're going, putting all that together? For 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 sure, um, there's 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 no excuses. There, there are no constraints on what data can be used these days. Uh, and again, I'll just bring bring back in though from an ethical point of view. It's something that, that we are uh, we're at a forefront around ethical AI. You know, it's uh, um, mm-hmm, we've got mm-hmm. a very very strong strong research teams that are leading the way here. 
Um, so taking in what information is readily available, taking in all the privacy uh, and, and ethical rationale and reasoning. Um, we can use all information within our organization and all information that we're allowed to use from outside our organization. Uh, I'll, I'll go one further. There, there are a huge amount of uh, uh, people unbanked in, 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 in this in this world. Um, mm, that's true. And uh, how, 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 how can you start on, uh, you know, uh, get some sort of uh, financial security uh, and using financial products if you can't even open up a bank account. You can't open mm-hmm. a bank account because you don't have a credit risk profile. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if we are able to have full transparency around the behavioural of this of this individual um, and, and allow them to on, onboard customers that normally would be high risk and monitor their behaviour in real time and when, and when the behaviour is in a positive way quickly upgrade that customer and give them a, a, a greater access to lending products. Uh, this is this is what we're going back into about the ability to um, uh, to in real time risk management do that paradigm shift to a real time revenue generator. So there's, there's, <laughs> it's not just about financial crime. There's a lot of there's a lot of social and economic factors in here as well. Uh, and, and, mm-hmm. and 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 in all in all fairness, it's it's to it's to benefit society. If we can benefit society by preventing organised crime and, and and giving bank accounts to good customers and and, and giving great experiences to good customers and having a fantastic relationship and ethical relationship with customers between banks customers if we can play a part in that i, I think you know that would be pretty awesome excellent and um you know i guess these are my last two questions here you know we talk about like effective this shift to effectiveness and then hopefully you can kind of give me a glimpse of of the future what's coming next in aml but you know that you know we've talked a lot about this yeah, this shift to what regulators are saying we want effective programs that kind of help law enforcement. But I'm curious, you know, what you think of that, what might be some different pieces. I mean, I know just in talking to different banks and different events we've had, you know, maybe this is you're a medium-sized bank and you decide to start a public-private partnership with your local law enforcement or you call up your local FBI, DOJ um, office in your area. Maybe you just decide to get together local compliance officers and talk about things going on in your region. Or maybe, you know, you're a bank and you decide, you know what, let's, let's talk to a few technology vendors. Let's kind of, you know, do this um, technology sandbox to see if I can improve what I'm doing with my data and, and my results and, and better, faster, deeper, more relevant suspicious activity reports. What does kind of, and like you said, the reason I ask this is because you're touching on technology. That's like the electronic beating heart of this financial crime compliance program. So it seems like tinkering with technology could be seen as a bank uh, uh, enacting this ethos to effectiveness. What do you think? So um, I'm, I'm just noticing we're coming up to the hour, Brian, and, and, and we've not used one, uh, one very, very popular world, word in the industry um, that, that is also, you know, what's enabled this shift in acceleration of uh, this capability, and it's the cloud. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the cloud has allowed us bring um, technology that normally a, you know, the biggest banks in the world could only afford. We can bring mm-hmm. this technology to, to fintech startups that have five customers. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. We can bring this technology to uh, credit and mutual banks that, you know, do not have the same type of budgets as, as, a, mm-hmm. as a tier one organization. 
uh, we can bring this technology to um, developing countries um, who who are again do do, do not have the budgets that of uh, you know uh, the tier to tier one uh, more progressive um, and mature economies have. Um, mm-hmm. So innovation is possible here because um, rolling out uh, rolling out this type of capability and um, playing with it, you know, um, even even. Uh, Bringing in for bringing information that whether whether it is trust amongst different organisations, we, we can, you can share information, you can tokenize it, uh, you, you mm-hmm. can you know have that there's there's no public uh, um, private information there at all, um, and you you can start you know getting back to where we were beforehand. You can you can start doing the art of the impossible. You can make it possible. Um, the <laughs> cloud the cloud the cloud is where it's at, um, and 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 one of the real challenges. That's happening because it's in a, in a relatively immature domain from an SME perspective and uh, a knowledge perspective, and, and um, even the resources, the tech resources around uh, technology and big data space and, and AI and machine mm-hmm. learning are, are, are there's a shortage. But cloud isn't allowing organisations to support these deployments anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. You know. Um, it's 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 quite mind blowing that you can um, onboard a new a new customer and have them live within you know seven eight weeks with a full mm-hmm. stack deployment of mm-hmm. um, all fraud and financial crime control, controls across the full customer lifecycle. So back into you know public private private partnerships, um, working with law enforcement, um, you know working really closely with the regulator. Mm-hmm. All, all of all of these communities can come together around the cloud uh, uh, across all ge- 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 geographies. Again, there's just really, you know, there's no excuses. It's uh, if the intent is there and the will is there, we, we, we can bring the information together because the tech is there, um, and uh, and there are really really passionate people um, uh, who want who want to do do more good. Well, that leads to my perfect segue to my last question. You've kind of provided us a great education on the history of AML, really from everywhere, the regulations, the technology, uh, you know, the need for the human decision-making, the public-private partnerships that have cropped up more recently. Can you give us, Sean, wrap this up, uh, a little glimpse of the future for us of financial crime and compliance? Where are we going? Uh, it's, it's, for me, it's really simple. Uh, I, I think the future is here. Um, and it's just about adopting, adopting this, this change uh, shift. Uh, the future is where the fraud and financial crime team are, are the most well-known team in organizations for all the right reasons. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not about firefighting. It's not about reactive. It's not about keep me, keep me uh, awake at night. Uh, it, it truly is this enabling business. Uh, the future is, you know, fraud and financial crime is about enabling business um, uh, and, and transforming business um, to, to improve profits and improve the overall customer experience. Excellent. Well, everyone, we're, we're, our, uh, this is, I kind of knew this was going to happen with Sean. Our 30-minute chat turned into an hour and two-minute chat, but we're actually lucky for it uh, to go through so much history and so much knowledge in such a short time is, is pretty impressive. And I frankly find, you know, uh, Sean's uh, passion here, his understanding, his, his warmth and willingness to share it, uh, frankly inspiring. So, uh, Sean, thank you so much for being here. I, I, I loved having this chat. I was looking forward to it. 
Um, and everyone, we hope to see you again soon at our next ACFCS event or Financial Crimecast. So everyone, goodbye for now.